All right, let's dive into it. Let's turn to James chapter 1, and we're, we're going to read the first 18 verses. We're taking quite a chunk here, but it, uh, it's a whole paragraph that hangs together, and uh, we want to uh, see what God has for us. James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Lots in there. Let's ask God to carry us and counsel us and encourage us today. Father, thank you for your word. Father, as we come to this passage, we're gathered here and each of us brings our own little thing and it may be we're in a good place or whether we may be in a hard place and Father, thank you that your spirit has promised that every time we come to your word and our heart is open, you have something for us. And so, Father, would you give to us what we need today? Uh, encouragement. Father, would you give to us conviction? Would you give to us, uh, Father, realization that we may be on a wrong path and we need to change? Father, we pray that you'll drive this word directly into our hearts, which is what you long to grip. And so, Father, uh, we're here before you. And, Father, on behalf of everyone, whether we want to or not, I ask, I ask you to open our hearts to your word, to bring, uh, bring to us exactly what we need this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the introduction says, uh, James, the servant of God, um, as you may or may not know, this James was the half-brother of Jesus. And so uh, born uh, to Joseph and Mary and grew up with his older brother being Jesus. Um, how's that? I, I come from a family where there was lots of brothers. There's five of us in a row, David, Dan, Ron, Roger, Larry, and um, uh, David the Good, oldest brother, compliant, setting the example. Uh, then Dan, 
the black sheep of the family, who wasn't all that bad, but boy, he sure caught it because he just wasn't like David. And, uh, and I was just an innocent bystander, honest. I, <laughs> that's just the way it was. So James was growing up with that. And, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning, I don't, I don't know, he, uh, he apparently didn't believe in Jesus. He was there apparently with his family uh, at a wedding when Jesus did his first miracle, turned water into wine. I can imagine, hey, we're going to be rich. <laughs> what a great family business we're going to have here. Uh, but a little bit later, though, uh, he and his family are, are trying to grab Jesus and, uh, because they actually believe he's out of his mind. And then it's apparent uh, the Bible tells us that he, his brothers didn't believe in him. He didn't even believe that he was the Messiah. But then we come here and he says, I'm James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No boasting about his relationship, just saying I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, and Lord, he's God Quite a revelation for this man to come to. And uh, he became a, a leader after he was saved, after Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. He believed in him. And now he says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And uh, he, uh, he became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And then uh, persecution hit and his flock was scattered. He's writing to the, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. They're, they're scattered because of, of persecution, but they're his people. He's their pastor and he loves them. And so he has something to say to them. And so he writes this letter. Think about who he's writing to. He think uh, today, uh, think refugees. These People were suffering trials of various kinds. The word various there literally is many colored, variegated. Uh, it's the word we actually get our word polka dot from. The Greek word is, is just like, it sounds just like that, polka dots. And so uh, trials come in all kinds of sizes and shapes and, and different uh, uh, colors. And, and so these people were facing uh, polka dots of various trials. Think about what they were though. Um, running away from home to stay alive. Hungry, marginalized, homeless, watching family members die, not able to do anything, sick, and no medicine. Trials of various kinds. What do we say to troubled people? You know, so often, I, I, I was actually, we sent this little thing out called the e-bulletin. Perhaps you got that, and some people reply to me. And one guy says, well, one thing I do is stay away from Christians with their platitudes when I ha have trouble. So, so isn't it so often that with the things we say ignore the real pain that people are going through? Aren't we like that? Which is, oh, it'll be okay, you know. Every cloud has a silver lining. I'm not seeing this one. We struggle with that, don't we? But the other mistake we make and one of the persons that wrote to me is making this mistake. We forget about God's personal care and concern for us. And so how do we, how, how do we talk to people? So James has something to say to troubled people. Uh, let's read together what he says, verse 2. Let's, uh, those uh, first words there, let's read it. Are you ready? What does he say? Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. When you fall into trials of various kinds. Now, he doesn't say it is joyful or it's fun or it's good. He doesn't say that, does he? But he does say, put it into this category. When you're facing a trial, put it into this category. This is joyful. 
This is a cause for joy. This is a good thing. Now, it's one thing to go uh, through trials without losing your mind. It's a whole different level to go through them with a positive attitude. But to say, this is a good thing, just seems wrong. I talk to a lot of people, and they're going through a lot of hard things. And I, when I read this, I said, God, I can't say that to people. I'm not, I can't say that to people. The things that they're struggling with, the agony of their life and the pain they're going through, I, I just, I can't say, hey, count this as a good thing. I certainly don't do that with my things. The, the fuel pump goes up on the Mustang and I, for the third time I'm trying to pass a guy on a hill and, it, and I have to pull over in shame. I'm sitting there thinking, reciting scripture. This is a good thing. No, my co-pilot knows. No, just be quiet. Don't say anything. We haven't had hot water for two weeks. It's so humbling. I got to go and ask my friends, can I use your shower? <laughs> yeah, first world problems, right? So we have my adopted daughter staying with us and she gets a cold shower and she comes out laughing. She says, yeah, she reminds me when I was growing up. You put your left arm in and then you put your right arm in, then put your head in, then you jump in. And I'm going, okay, here's my man card. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Trials. We have some people in here that are going through some pretty intense things. But the Holy Spirit inspired James to write this. Count it all joy. So we're going to look at why we can deal with real reality and still say, this is a good thing. So here's three reasons James says do it. Put hard things into the category of good. First of all, I have a bigger reason to live for. And let's be honest, when trouble comes, mostly we just want it to end. We are just like the neighbor and the people on TV and everybody else in the world, we want to be healthy and wealthy and happy. And uh, we'll do almost anything to get that and keep that. And we never want anything to happen. No, no bad thing. Not in my neighborhood. Not in my house. Not in my skin. But trouble comes. That's what, we don't want any of that. But James is suggesting a whole different goal. Rather than health and wealth and let's just be happy together. We just want to be happy. James is suggesting a different goal. He says, hang in during the trial with the goal of spiritual maturity. Let's look at what he says here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is suggesting, look, if you hang in there, we have a different goal. We're not just looking to be happy. We're actually looking to be holy. We want to endure and mature. And so what we're going for is spiritual maturity. Now, there's a process here. The word testing has the idea of being tested for approval. And so it's, it's in the bearing of weight that a muscle is strengthened. So that's really, we're looking at the process here. We're not looking at the final result. The final result that God wants in testing us is to approve us. 
But, but the process is one of growing in strength. And so it's not like a pass-fail thing. It's actually when, when the muscles are tested, it's in the bearing of weight that you strengthen a muscle and, and actually are able to lift the weight. And so it's, it's looking at a process here. Uh, we're going to come back to this thought, but uh, God isn't trying to crush you or wear you out or wear you down. He's working you into shape. It's the shape of his son. He's developing your faith muscles so that you can actually lift, so that you can walk. You know what happens when you don't use your muscles? They get pretty weak. And pretty soon you're just flopping around and you can't do things that you want to do. And, and it, it takes activity to keep your muscles in shape and, and keep going. So we're, we're uh, looking at a process here. And uh, the effect of testing is one through steadfastness or endurance. And the full effect is to be perfect and entire. That doesn't mean sinless. Probably doesn't even mean really, 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 really holy. It means mature and growing, and where you ought to be in your life, because we know Scripture says we're never going to arrive. Uh, this actually, this process, it actually brings me great hope. We're never done uh, growing and maturing, and uh, I can tell you that. Um, no matter how long you've been saved, and how, how good people think you are, um, age is its own test, and as you get older, uh, you have the opportunity to continue to mature as you are facing trials of various kinds. And that's just a word of experience. So the process. So what happens here is um, our understanding of testing or trials or trouble needs to change from how can I get out of this to what can I get out of this? Our understanding of trials needs to change from why is this happening to me? To, why is this happening to me? Did you see what I did there? Let me go over it again. Our understanding of trials needs to change from how can I get out of this to what can I get out of this? It needs to change from why is this happening to me to why is this happening to me? The answer is God's shaping you. He's strengthening you. So the process is one of strength training in holiness. Now, let's be gracious with one another, okay? Because we can get pretty nasty. Like, you're not growing fast enough. Um, we do that to the people closest, uh, closest to us, right? I want you to be more holy. Like now. And uh, we, get, we get pretty testy with each other. But, but this is a process. We're growing. You don't start with the heaviest weights, right? We need to give our, ourselves a chance to grow a little bit. And so, you know, in my exercise program, I started with five-pound sacks of potatoes. And um, now I've graduated to 10-pound sacks of potatoes, and I'm thinking of going to 20-pound sacks of potatoes, but I'll probably start putting potatoes in the sacks first. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> the process is one of strength training and holiness. Now listen, there's no preferential treatment in this either. And I'm, this is a good thing, because verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And the truth is, we all need wisdom. Nobody has the wisdom that God has for how to handle this trial and how to get through and what God wants from us. Nobody has that. Only God has that. His word has that, and his people have that, and his spirit have that, and we need it to come from him. We need wisdom. And, he, and anybody that asks him, he doesn't go, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll give you some wisdom. Yeah, I kind of like you, but not you, not you. He never says that. Never. 
Um, this is emphasized in verses 9 to 11. Uh, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. And what's really being said about that is it doesn't matter your external circumstances, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, trials come and God is looking at the heart response. That's what he's interested in and you need wisdom. It doesn't matter what you have in this earth, uh, trial is going to come. Trouble is going to come to you. And what's important is your heart response, not what you have. Because what you have is not going to help you. you. You can be gone tomorrow. Life is so transitory. And we build it up and we look at the externals. We look at the education and we look at the, the, the lifestyle and we look at what I have and what, and what you don't have and we compare each other and, and it doesn't matter. What God is looking for is a heart response to him. Um, so there's a process and, and there's no preference and, uh, and then get this, there's, there's a promise and this is so exciting to me. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, it's amazing to me. What we want is happiness. Do you want to be happy? I confess, I want to be happy. Who doesn't want to be happy? God is not against happiness. But when we exalt that to our greatest value, isn't it interesting to me that we never hit it? The things that we look to to bring happiness are probably not going to do it. But look what God says right here. You know what his promise is? He says, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of it, if you endure, you will have happiness. Blessed. Blessed is the man. That's happiness times 10. And he says he'll give you the crown of life. This crown probably refers to a victor's crown. Well, why, why wouldn't you get a victor's crown? You endured and you passed. You passed the test. You endured and became more mature. And so you get a crown of life. You're victorious. And that crown of life is for now. As you get through the test, God gives you the crown. Of, it's not something later. It's present tense. Right now, you get the crown of life. Life more abundant. Isn't that what Jesus promised? I came to give them life and life more abundant. It's a quality of life that God promised. And where, where do we find it? Where do we find it? In the middle of trials. And so because I have a bigger reason to live, that's a, that's a, that's a good reason to put trials into the category of this is a good thing. Here's a second thing. I have a better resource to live with. The resource is faith. I respond to God with faith and he gives me the wisdom to know what to do to handle the trials and grow. Let's uh, look at these verses, verse 5 um, through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's quite a picture, isn't it? Wind-driven waves of, of two minds. Who is this guy? Well, there's two aspects of our heart that are looked at in this passage. Uh, one is the thoughts of our heart that we're talking about right now. And later, we're going to look at the desires of our heart. Um, the third aspect of our heart that I think we probably should pay attention to is the decisions of our heart. And they... Um, yeah, they're going to show up. They're going to show the thoughts of my heart and the, the 
this, the desires of my heart are going to come out in the decisions I make. We're going to see those things, right? And so those are the aspects of the heart. And right now we're talking about the thoughts of the heart. James says we need to ask God for wisdom in faith. So here's the question. Do I go to God for his wisdom so I can respond in righteousness and grow? Or am I going to cave and fail the test? James says we must exercise faith with no doubting. So uh, what's faith? Well, let's, you can write this down, okay? Uh, five aspects of faith. That, uh, is, uh, faith is our response to God, and this is what it's based on. First, you have to know something. You have to know something. So we have God's truth. We know it. Uh, secondly, you have to believe it. Well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? I'm going to know something. I, I, we know lots of things that we don't really believe. But we have to believe it. And so... Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him or God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's pretty obvious. I have to know that God is and he, he loves me and then I have to believe it. And there's a lot of people that don't believe that. They just don't believe. I don't believe God loves me. I don't believe it. God loved you so much he gave his own son. He does love you. He proved it on the cross. So you have to believe it. Uh, secondly, you, uh, thirdly rather, you must trust it. Just like there's a difference between knowing and believing, there's a difference between believing and trusting. There's a difference between believing. I, I, I know it's true. I'm not going to trust it. I'm not, I'm not walking out there. But then you have to commit to it. James is all about action. This is where trust is shown and when we do that, the fifth aspect of faith is we develop an assurance. An assurance, even though I don't necessarily see the results right now. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We use a definition of faith around here often. It says, faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how I feel because God promises a good result. And so, Faith involves those five things. Know, believe, trust, uh, commit, and then the assurance that comes with it as I live for him. So, so doubting and double-mindedness are heart issues. That person, that person that James is talking about, what the, that, let not that person think God's going to give him anything. Why? Because he's not committed to what God wants. He's hot and he's cold. In the words of Toby Mac, he goes, I do, I don't, I will, I won't, and everything in between. I would have sung that to you, but he wouldn't like that. <laughs> Their attitude is, look, I just don't want any trouble. And I don't care what God wants. I just don't want any trouble. And if I do get trouble, I just want out of it. I just want out of it. And so what's their response? Um, well, how do you spell relief? What is your pattern of response to trouble? to hard things. When things aren't going your way, when you're not getting what you want, and we all have things that we want, and some of them are really good things, but when you don't get it, what's your pattern of response? What's your go-to method of seeking relief? How do you spell relief? I know some of the ways I spell relief. A response of faith is knowing what God has said, believing it, trusting it, committing yourself to it. And then comes the assurance that you're in his favor, 
that he's on your side, that he's strengthening you, and that he'll carry you through this. And the result will be righteous behavior. We'll talk some more about that. So the better resource of faith helps me achieve the bigger reason for living, which is maturity. But the best part of counting trials as a good thing is this. I have the best relationship to live in. I have the best relationship to live in. Listen, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 16, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, cre cre his creatures, his creation. I get to know my heavenly father. Uh, let, me, let me be honest with you. Uh, maturity is not the end goal. That's what we're talking about. Endure and mature. But maturity is not the end goal. I just don't want to be like some, like really, I'm a really great, strong Christian. The end goal is knowing God. The end goal is being in relationship with the eternal one. The end goal is abiding in Christ and having him in my life and on a daily basis having communion with, with the God of the universe. That's the end goal. The end goal is not focused on me and my maturity. The end goal is focused on God and God dwelling with his people because that was his intention from the beginning. Oh, look at this is what God is like. God is purposeful, verse 18. He saves us through the word of truth. And it seems like that's just the start of a new thing. Uh, let's put this back into context. James was one of the earliest New Testament books written. It was still when uh, Christianity was kind of all Jewish. And there weren't many, uh, the, it hadn't jumped the fence to, into the Gentiles with the Apostle Paul yet. And so uh, James is just writing to the, the people that were believers. But they were the church. They were the beginning of the church. And, and the gospel uh, has jumped the fence. And the gospel has come all the way to this time. And the gospel has come all the way to this place. And the gospel has come all the way to me. And to you, if you've responded in faith to God who wants to give you new life, that's what we celebrated with communion here. God himself came and revealed himself in flesh and, and showed us the righteousness, his own righteousness, and then took our sin on him and is offering us when we respond to him in faith. He's offering to us his gift of righteousness as he takes our sin upon himself. What a great exchange that is. So this is what you need to know. Have you responded to his offer of new life? You have to know that Jesus Christ is, is God and died in your place. He paid for your sin and wants to reconcile you to him and give you life. You have to know that. You have to believe it. Do you believe it? Have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, have you committed to it? Um, have you trusted Christ? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on his name? Do you have the assurance that you know him? If you do, then he, you know that he's for you. He's a loving heavenly father. Are you in relationship with him? Are you seeking him? Are you relying on him on every day? Are you relying him in the midst of fighting off your addictions, fighting off your anxiety, fighting off your, your, your problems, your, your issues, your acceptance? Do you know that it's all found in Jesus Christ? He's so purposeful. He's doing something new in the world and he wants you to be part of it. And he has a purpose for your life. Know, believe, trust, commit, and have the assurance of salvation. Look at this, he's good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
God, God is good. He's giving you good things. Even the trials are filtered through his love for you. You go, it can't be a good thing. It can't be. Remember Pastor James talking about a, a guy he had won to the Lord, very uh, incredibly wealthy man and, and had no time for God. And then he got cancer and he was nearing the end and, and he called and, and so he, he asked someone to come visit him and Pastor James uh, shared the gospel with him and he trusted Christ. And as they were sharing over the next little while as this man was facing death and his riches couldn't help him and and, and he said, uh, I hate this cancer. God, God has given me this cancer. It's not fair. And James said to him, don't, don't you ever say that. If it wasn't for this cancer, you would never, never have considered God. The man broke down. He said, you're right. You're right. If it wasn't for this cancer, I wouldn't be saved. I wouldn't have eternal life. God's doing a good thing in you because he loves you. You say, but it's such a struggle. I know, but he's good. He's the creator. He's in control. He calls him here the father of lights, literally the father of the stars and the sun. He's a creator. And it's talking about the fact that he created them and he controls them. Nothing comes to your life that he's not in control of. I love this. With him, there's no variation or shadow due to change. He's faithful. He's faithful. We've been singing this. All the songs we sang, they said these things. You do not change. You're faithful. We've been singing these things. We sang them. It was, it was so powerful. Joel and Megan leading us in that. I can hardly breathe. Singing these songs of God's faithfulness and love for us. This is our God. Let's, let's think about this quick. He's pure. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I mean tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is an important point to make here, isn't it? When we're in trouble, when we're in trouble, we look around for a, a way to get out of it. We often go sideways, looking for relief. Every time we do that, we are double-minded. We're saying, God, I want what you got, but, 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 but I don't trust you. I want what I want. And we go our own way. And we're double-minded. We need to get our minds fastened on the truth of Jesus Christ and, and remain committed to it. Uh, often responding to trials in our own strength simply magnifies the... Have you been there? Is it like, I'm going to fix this. And I just made it worse. I've done that. Then after a while, we start looking around for someone to blame. Sometimes we pick God. We say things like this. I had no choice, God. I had no choice. You put me in this situation. God might say, yeah, I did. You didn't have to respond that way. And sometimes God says, I'm, I'm sorry, buddy. You picked this. You put me into this situation, God. I had no choice but to cave. Oh, you could have endured Another thing we say is, uh, you made me this way. This goes right to our identity, doesn't it? God, you made me this way. I have no choice. No. No. We always have a choice. Uh, how about Adam's really dumb line? God, you gave me this woman. <laughs> he goes, yeah, that's the best thing you got going for you, dude. 
Listen, God does not bait us. God does not bait us. He doesn't dangle things in front of us and say, hey, well, I'm gonna get, you're going to fall, you're going to fall. That's not our God. He allows trials into our life, but he's there to strengthen us and to help us. He's for us. He loves you. He's not uh, out to get you. The thoughts of our heart must be focused on God's purposes and seeking his wisdom. The desires of our hearts must be brought under his truth. And the choices of our heart will show. The choices of our heart will show. And even then, even then, when I turn to God for wisdom, he gives me a way back. There's always room for repentance and faith. This morning, God is saying, um, turn. Repentance and faith always bring forgiveness and restoration. Always. God doesn't hold back on my ability to receive cleansing and to grow in maturity. He's never holding back. He never says it's too late for you. No, you can't. You'll never make it. God never says that. He says, if you call on me in faith, I'll give you wisdom. You'll know how to handle this trial. You can endure and you will grow and you'll become more like my son and you will find happiness and blessing. You'll have the crown of life when you get through this. In the midst of it, you'll have life like you never have because you'll be walking with me. That's what God wants. Um, let me just refer to one more test because maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, why? Jeez, boy, Pastor Roger, I'm glad you're talking to somebody else. My life is going just fine, thank you. I'm so glad I'm not suffering any trials. And you know what? Most of us, most of us here, I want to say this carefully, most of us, I'm really, you know, Hot water aside, you know, all that stuff, it's just stuff. And our lives are pretty good. As the world goes, uh, most of us are living pretty good lives. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God has a warning for us. He says, listen, all these things are because God is disciplining you so that he can know your heart. He's testing your heart. And then he adds this test. And when, when you're blessed by God and everything's going well and you're living in your house and you have all your stuff and it's going really well, be very, very careful that your heart is not lifted up within you when you forget God. And you say, my hands have got me all this stuff. Look at how good I am. And then you forget God and you begin to turn to idols and, and, and ways of finding happiness that are not going to bring it. And you forget the Lord your God. And that's another kind of test from the Lord because it's all about the heart. He's always testing our heart. He's testing the thoughts of our heart. And he's testing the desires of our heart. And he's testing the choices of our heart. And he wants us to pass. He wants us to pass. So trouble comes to all of us. Some of it have it here in piles. But here's the bottom line. God wants me to stop reacting in frustration or fear or foolishness to my circumstances. He wants me to stop reacting to my circumstances and start responding in faith to him. He wants me to get my eyes off my circumstances and onto his character. God wants me to stop re reacting to the stuff that's happening and start responding to him in faith. So he wants me to endure and mature. Why? So that I can actually know him. And when I have that, I will be glad to put trouble into the category of good.
God wants us to apply that, right? So I don't know, what are you facing right now? What's the thing? You could probably name one. God, this thing, this thing's so heavy. This thing's so hard. Can you put it into the category of good? Because you're living for a different reason. Because you have the resource of faith. Because you get to walk with God himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that when trouble comes, and it does, we can go to you. Father, we do. We often cry out to you. Father, sometimes we cry out to you and it's not very faithful. But Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that we can sing these incredible songs of praise to you. and They, they uh, talk about your character and your love and your faithfulness. Father, we want to stop right now and we're before you right now. And we're faced with this choice. With the things that we're going through or the things that people we love are going through and we're faced with this choice, are we going to meet it by turning to you and asking for wisdom? God, please give us wisdom to know what to do. For endurance and strength to, to grow and get through this and find life and to be like your son and to enjoy you. Or are we going to cave and turn to our own ways and be separated from you again? Father, help us, help us. We do that so often. Father, today, today, help us. Turn to you in faith. Give us faith. Let faith arise in our hearts, Lord, as we seek you, as we call on your name. Would you help us? Please, God, come and help us. Give us wisdom. Uh, give us strength. Help us to turn to you. We call on your name in faith, Lord. Lord, we trust you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.